One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com/people today. One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh it's a it's a t-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. Hello guys and girls. The program you are about to hear will be both fun and educational, but it is not a substitute for medical advice. Although we are doctors, we are not your doctors. Hello and welcome to Travel Medicine. As always, I'm your friendly neighborhood internal medicine doc, Dr. J. Hi guys, straight from the lab. This is your friendly pediatric infectious disease doc and researcher, Dr. Santosh. So we're recording this about a week or so early because with any luck, if I kept to my timetable, you are hearing this episode the week that I am at San Diego Comic Book Convention. Woo! Where I will be geeking out hardcore. Very much so. He's uh, for those of you in the know. Dr. Josh is a regular at the very prestigious, very exclusive Hall H. Right. Oh yes, I, I spend a great deal of time in Hall H yeah, yeah. every year for Comic Con, where we will get to see a a brief teaser for the upcoming film Doctor Strange. Nice. Yes, it, it's going to be Cumberbatched. <laughs> There's going to be Cumberbatchification of Doctor Strange. Are you are you a Cumberbitch? <laughs> I am not a Cumberbitch. Uh, I might be a Cumberbro. <laughs> a Cumberbro. So and then you know that's certainly one of the big ones. And it actually got me thinking. You know, last year we did a whole episode on comic book medicine, and I showed a, a very clear favoritism toward Marvel. And I figured, <laughs> with the return of Comic Con, we should do another comic book episode on the medicine that you see taking place in the comic universe. But this time. I thought I'd be a little bit more fair and we'd cover some DC as well. Yeah, we'll show some love to, you know, the Dark Knight and our, our favorite alien, Superman, and to some of their villains. But before we go into that, I think it would be doing a real disservice if we were going to cover comic book and pop culture medicine and not talk about the biggest geeky pop culture phenomenon going on right now, <laughs> which of course... Is Pokemon, yes. <laughs> you know, okay, I... <laughs> I amend my statement. 
And I have also been playing Pokemon Go. Oh, all right. And I have caught a couple different fish and sushi restaurants, and <laughs> you don't even want to know what I'm catching in the hospitals. <laughs> it's these lands to boil and a Pokemon popped out. <laughs> oh, Dr. Josh, you need to place this femoral line into this person. He's about to die. And all Dr. Josh can be, okay, let me get out my phone and let me see what we can <laughs> find wonder- in this. Oh, Jigglypuff in the Vena Cave, huh? I wander into the OB wing. You will never guess where I found this squirtle. Oh, come on. But, no, I, I was actually referring not to, I'm not referring to Pokemon, but, in fact, to Game of Thrones. There you go. Yeah. Right. And don't worry, there are no spoilers in, in this upcoming review, so you can safely unplug your ears. Yeah. <laughs> you might be wondering what could medicine possibly have to do with Game of Thrones? Well, I, I was thinking about it for a while because, of course, this is a fantasy setting. But knowing you as I do, Josh, I know how you can beautifully and seamlessly link together the real world of fantasy worlds. And so, please, walk us <laughs> into the realm. What are you trying to imply? Uh, <laughs> You know, one of these days we'll convince you that the voices in your head are not real. But until then, you keep <laughs> crossing over the worlds. Well, a a brief delve into the world of Westeros, mm. and you will see they the only disease most people seem to suffer from is a sudden case of popularity followed by death, known as George R.R. <laughs> R. Martinitis. Yes. Yes, and hopefully followed by syndication. But one of the very interesting things that was included was an actual honest-to-goodness plague. And the plague, of course, is the disease grayscale. Now, we do see it show up a couple times throughout the show, so minor spoilers for, you know, plot points. Stannis' daughter, the Princess Shireen, we see as a survivor of Grayscale. When Jorah and Tyrion are traveling along the Rhoyne River, they encounter the Stone Men. And a character that we do come to be familiar with and love over the course of these six seasons also becomes infected with Grayscale along the way. So for those of you who watch Game of Thrones, you're, you're already nodding along going, yeah, of course, I, I know who that is. It's, it's Grayscale. For those of you who don't, I thought maybe we should go into what Grayscale is and what its real-world equivalent might be. Yeah, so this is a, so this is a, a, a wasting skin disease type of thing. It does share features with a, a lot of different other diseases, and I think George R. R. Martin pulled from a bunch of different ones. But right. In short, it's in the world of the Seven Kingdoms. It's a fatal disease that is very slowly progressing. It can leave flesh stiff and dead with the skin cracked and flaking and stone-like to the touch. Right, and, so, and from what I saw, the cracking is kind of a byproduct of the fact that we move. So the skin becomes so stiff that it really can't move, but it's brittle so that if it occurs, for instance, on your hand and then you close your hand to make a fist, just like how cracks form in asphalt, that's the same kind of thing. The skin just cracks apart rather than bending seamlessly as it's supposed to do. And because of this network of cracks, as the skin becomes more calcified and harder, 
the flesh becomes takes on this pattern of scales. Oh, okay. And it appears to have a texture of gray stone or gray reptile scales, which is where it gets the name. Oof. The discoloration comes in later stages, which is why you see the stone men look like monsters out of some fantasy novel, where Princess Shireen just looks like she got a particularly bad burn on the left side of her face. Now... If you go and read the books, you learn that in the very final stages of the disease, this is more than just a skin condition, it does start attacking the body's internal organs, uh-huh. hardening, hardening them as it did the outer flesh, and when it spreads to the brain, this can result in violent insanity, which, you know, <laughs> people rarely see the, vinyl, the final stages because all the stone men have been quarantined to old Valyria. Oh, well, okay, so they... They did kind of like a sanitarium, like we would for tuberculosis. So this is, there's a lot of different things we can see going on, and we could probably spend an entire episode just devoted to grayscale, but we won't. Okay, (laughs) all right. (laughs) So let's talk briefly about the diseases that it mimics. So Santosh, again, a disease that calcifies your skin, that causes cracking, disfigurement, and even has some neurological neurological features, potentially. Sure. What, what does that sound like to you as our infectious disease expert? Oh, yeah. Okay, so if it's an infection, and we're talking about the skin hardening and dying, uh, there's a little bit of a variant uh, in, the, in the real world in that that flesh will actually die and fall off. And we're talking about one of our 80 plagues, which is leprosy or Hansen's disease. And that's not the mm, bop. No, no, <laughs> that that disease is much worse. <laughs> that one, you should be quarantined, and you will be quarantined. <laughs> you know, you know, they make their own beer now. It's I, an IPA called mm, Hops. Uh, <laughs> oh, I I hopped right into that one. Oh, it's true. <laughs> Look it up. I promise. <laughs> but okay, so so what diseases does this sound like to you? Yeah, so uh, Hansen's disease was the infection that I thought of as as number one, and then uh, one that that I was thinking of otherwise, which is a primary skin disease, uh, which occurs because of a genetic defect in the skin itself, is um, are a series of diseases or a group of diseases called ichthyoses. Uh, Ichthus is, you know, Greek or Latin for fish. And this is another type of disease where the outside of the skin becomes hard and keratinized and extremely dry and also limits your movement and and the skin cracks as you move. Although this is just a skin disorder, this will not affect the brain, although it can affect other parts of your body which uh, in which keratin is involved like your hair and the cornea over your eyes one of the things we see is in terms of transmission of grayscale we we never actually see what how shireen gets it in the show in the books we learn that stannis just bought her a doll that he on a merchant ship that came from dorne and it was an infected doll She got it, and by the time everyone realized and they burned the doll, it was too late. So now this tells us that this disease comes from a very warm, desert-like climate, Uh, which is what Dorn is. Sure, sure. Okay. And we also do see leprosy and tuberculosis and some of those disfiguring diseases, again, in the Middle East and in tropical climates, in India, in Southeast Asia. So this seems still pretty consistent with that kind of thing. However... 
we also see it on minor spoiler alert Jorah Mormont and he actually gets it when a gray and already late stage disease grayscale man attacks him and scratches it so we have to assume that this is either a bloodborne or airborne disease right Right. And if we were to go with the model of leprosy, uh, not necessarily bloodborne, but it can certainly be contact borne or touch borne. So grayscale is described, correct me if I'm wrong, Josh, as very infectious, so extremely contagious. You can pick it up with even, you know, quick contact. As we covered with leprosy or Hansen's disease, for that to transmit from person to person, you need prolonged contact and the right kind of immunological and sanitary conditions around you to allow the bug to survive. So this is uh, this is definitely a difference between talking about an infectious model like leprosy versus a fantasy model like grayscale. Really, the the most interesting thing about grayscale is not so much the the diseases it resembles, which, as we said, leprosy, calcinosis, and another that we'll get to called uh, os- myositis ossificans, mm. but the the public health measures. And without you know, and I know George R. R. Martin can be quite long winded, but he spent a lot of time thinking about building a fantasy world from the ground up, and without realizing it, he put in a lot of public health policy as well. Again, we see in grayscale, if someone's worried they've caught the disease, because you have this hardening of the skin and its associated loss of sensation, people think, well, if you amputate the affected limb, you can slow the spread, and people will will daily will prick their fingers and extremities with a knife on a daily basis. If they can't feel the knife, it means they've started to have this grayscale, or we would call it a neuropathy. Right, so, and this is very and, and, similar to, again, to leprosy, where the patch of skin that's infected is numb. And people who are found to have it, adults, it's almost always fatal, and they're immediately sent off to live in old Valeria with other people who suffer from grayscale, which is a little like those quarantine right. colonies that we talked about, whereas children... Uh, do have a chance of surviving it, but will be severely scarred, and it depends what culture they're in. Again, somebody who has the resources of a kingdom, such as the Baratheons, can call in every maester, magician, and healer in the kingdom. And unfortunately, it doesn't really go into how she was cured. Or you could take the wildling approach and just execute the children at birth, which is deemed to be a kindness. And you look at how the wildlings grow up between becoming white walkers or grayscale or all these other things, and they they may be right. Leaving out these sick children for the wolves is certainly not a kind act, but it may do better than the life they, the very short life they would lead afterward. Yeah, that's a, that's kind of a Spartan law that was over-exaggerated in the film 300, which we all know and love. Go Gerard Butler, I believe he's back somewhere in the rom-com scene. This is a old-world way of considering disease, is that you either have to eliminate the person altogether or you have to send them far, far away because I don't have a good solution to treat them. Um, And some of this was due to social stigma and fear of contracting the disease, and some of it was quite practical, as in, there's nothing I can do for you, and you're about to become dangerous to me, so go over there. So, 
we will see, and every time Grayscale is brought up, it's just in passing, but people talk about burning, about quarantine, about avoiding and wrapping up so as not to touch, which is how they dealt with the Black Plague, mm-hmm. and maybe why it's also known as the Grey Death in the book. So we've seen the Black Plague, we've seen leprosy, we've seen calcinosis, and we've seen public health policy, which is really, really well thought out. You'd be surprised <laughs> how effective the Game of Thrones medical administration is. <laughs> well, and this is, you know, this is in the context of not understanding how the disease is transmitted, how to treat it, etc., right? So they're implementing policy in a dark age of medicine. So I hope that but this is also a world in which magic works. There, oh, that's so true. You can't yeah, yeah, that's true. So I do hope that we find a magic solution and that some of the more barbaric, I guess, health policies in this case are supplanted by cure. And if you have any theories as to what cures might work, whether real-world equivalents or magic ones... Uh-huh. And please leave us a comment at facebook.com slash travel medicine podcast. And we would love to debate this with you. You know, you can you can direct message me and spoil all you want or <laughs> post on the wall. And and, you know, uh, and by the comment. way, if you post spoilers, it is on your head, ladies and gentlemen. We will not bear that responsibility. Be kind. Yeah. Right. We We already know. We know about different people's parentage. We know which people die. But really, what I'd like to talk about with you is disease in medicine in the worlds of Westeros. Yeah. Now, the last disease that grayscale often gets compared to is one that we also see in the DC Comics universe. So I, I figured we'd use that kind of as a transition and talk about myositis ossificans. Now... Santosh, I'm I'm more of a Marvel guy, and I think you know a little bit more of the Detective Comics universe. All right. Is there any villain you can think of who might fit a Myositis ossificans description? And I'm going to leave it to you to very briefly explain the disease. So in real life, IRL, this disease has actually acquired a, a new name. It's called fibrodysplasia ossificans progressiva and this is just to kind of explain it a little bit better by what it actually does so this is a rare and disabling genetic conditions and it's it's a group of conditions based on what mutation happens but essentially what happens is that the muscles that you have the soft tissue you have tendons ligaments fascia all of these types of things become swollen and hardened almost like bone. So ossifica or is, is, or ossification is a Latinized term meaning to become like bone or to harden like bone. So you have some sort of inflammation and flare-up that goes along a tendon fascia, which is the covering over the muscle, and muscle itself or a tendon. And after that flare-up happens, rather than healing over, like as with happens with many of us, the, the hard fibrotic thick tissue will form instead. And 
as you can imagine, say, if you were to put your hand over your biceps muscle, which may be quite hot, you know, very hot. <laughs> but if it's not, if it's it's a normal muscle, you can move your arm back. And forth. But if the sheath around that muscle were to become hard and bone-like, then now you can no longer move your arm. And that, of course, would make its own disability. But imagine if this were to happen over your trunk, so your back or your chest or your abdomen, and now you're kind of stuck in a position. And, and uh, that's the that's the kind of horrific progression that happens. And it does start in childhood. And uh, it's right now we don't have a good solution or a cure for it. So that's why it, it was kind of ruled out as a possible grayscale equivalent, because it's a genetically inherited condition, and it's been made very apparent that grayscale is contagious. Yeah. Now, this is a disease that causes damaged soft tissue to regrow as bone. Now, some of you out in the non-medical world may be familiar with a similar type of condition, which are called keloids. And that is seen much more often in the African-American population. And when they get a cut, the scar tissue around the cartilage swells up and forms like these little lumps. And the more you try and the more this tissue gets damaged by trauma, such as a further attempts at surgery or cutting, the bigger it gets. So most of the time, it's just left alone. There's no cure, but as long as it's not bothered, it doesn't get bigger. This is a very similar situation, but with a much broader area. Right. So we're talking about any muscle, you know, if you have minor trauma, if you have inflammation there, the muscle gets destroyed and then, boom, replaced by bone. Now... What what sort of trauma do you suppose being hit by somebody like Superman might cause? <laughs> well, depending how gentle Superman wanted to be. And, uh, Superman, Josh, as you know, is basically, he is, he's given the powers that he needs to do what he needs to do at any given time. Um, he's gone from being able to be very gentle, uh, gentle enough with uh, Lois to have a kid, all the way to punching through a di- dimension. He punched through a dimension. <laughs> Take that, science. What the hell? <laughs> and and we're not going to cover it today, but for those of you who are interested in the actual anatomy and physiology of Superman and Lois having a child with what would be quite literally, super sperm. There is a fantastic discussion of it in the 1992 or 96 movie Mallrats. There is. That's right. So Uh, I I encourage you all. (laughs) Jason Lee has an amazing monologue uh, right up there by the food court. Yeah. (laughs) But, But in the DC universe, there is a villain, Doomsday, who has, if you look at the way he's artistically drawn, what looks like very large growths of bone coming out of his shoulders, around his face, and all over his body. And every time he's hit, his skin hardens and grows a new bone spike to protect it. And that actually is the closest we can come up with. Now, it's happening on a super sped-up timetable. But the point is, this is actually how the disease kind of progresses. You receive some kind of trauma... In the area of the trauma or in just a spontaneous area, you form a soft tissue tumor that very quickly hardens into bone. And the more trauma this area takes, the harder the skin around it will become. 
which could explain why Doomsday always looks like he's wearing his skeleton on the outside. Right, and in some ways he kind of is. It's just that he has a skeleton on the inside as well. So the unlike the real world equivalent, which is quite devastating and causes you know loss of motion for the child who inherits this disease, uh, usually by spontaneous mutation, Doomsday is of course a supervillain, and so he doesn't have the same types of limitations to his motions if a muscle or a tendon gets hurt, he actually is able to move and fight just fine. He just gets a new bone spike. And in the most severe forms of this disease, people become effectively paralyzed and petrified in a stone sense, not in a scared sense, uh, where they can really only move their lips. Right, right. So eventually they're kind of stuck in, you know, the death is is kind of... um, really terrible it'll it'll come from something like inability to eat or inability to breathe um, as your own tissues kind of box you in so um, it's it's kind of awful but yeah doomsday definitely does not have this limitation absolutely not and for those of you who don't believe that it could make somebody look like doomsday there is may i direct you to google image there you go where you can look up fibrodysplasia ossificans and just sound it out I promise you Google image will reward your efforts (laughs) and I'm going to throw in a very very quick just the tip before we move on to our next comic book hero Yeah, and that is deep in Philadelphia there is the Mutter Museum which is home to over 3,000 different bone specimens. It's a medical museum in the center of Philadelphia with a collection of medical oddities. And when I say medical oddities, I mean they have the full skeleton of somebody who suffered from myositis ossificans. And you can see the skull and bone growths over him. He donated his skeleton to the collection. It also has the Mutter American Giant, the tallest skeleton on exhibit at 7 feet and 7 inches. Wow. And the Hurdle Skull Collection, a collection of 139 skulls from a Viennese anatomist who originally wanted to show the diversity of cranial anatomy in Europeans. So every time he went traveling, he came back with a skull. I like hard rock pins, but, you know, whatever whatever floats your boat. <laughs> Um, They also have the liver from Chang and Ang, the first conjoined Siamese twins. Yep. uh, Back when they were called Siamese because they were named after these guys who were born in Siam. Which is now Thailand. Yes. So it's a great medical museum. It's very worth checking out. And it's not overly gory for those of you with delicate sensibilities. Now... We've talked about Doomsday as a villain, and, you know, we see a lot of heroes beating up on villains, but heroes take their fair share of punches, too. And if I had to name one character in comics who I think could take more punishment than just about anybody... (laughs) We're talking about the Infragable Hulk. No, that's not what he's called. (laughs) So, the, the Incredible Hulk. But the basic story goes, Bruce Banner, mild-mannered, brilliant physicist, gets caught in a tremendous gamma-ray explosion. He miraculously survives the radiation, but does have a tendency to transform into a giant (laughs) green rage monster. 
the, the, known as the Incredible Hulk. Banner's transformation into the Hulk, we can explain by this. When gamma radiation, or really any radiation, hits DNA, but certainly something as powerful as gamma, it will break DNA's double-stranded ladder-like helix. And this process is known as chromo, which for light, thripsis, which is ripping apart. Um, so light ripping your DNA. Now your body can repair a few of these breaks here and there without significant loss of function. But if many breaks occur at one time, say if you were caught in a giant gamma explosion, yeah, then <laughs> the repairs can become somewhat sloppy and new instructions can be put into the genetic code. So the thought is that when Banner got hit, when his DNA reassembled, now it has a whole bunch of new switches. But instead of being activated by light, they're activated by hormones. And we know that we produce different hormones when we're angry, happy, or sad. I mean, this is such common knowledge that even Pixar made a movie about it. Yeah, yeah. The, the, beauty, the wonderful uh, Inside Out, which if you guys haven't gone, grab yourself a box of Kleenex and get your butts to the movie theater. But here's, here's the catch. Here's what makes this a travel medicine comic book special. Oh, yeah. Why is Hulk's skin green? Oh, right? that's a, yeah, that is interesting because I can understand he gets angry. Uh, his the triggers cause a massive surge of you know adrenaline. His muscles become super super strong, and you know subsequently he becomes fast. But he changes color. He's not uh, the normal skin color of who he is he turns green why why green green seems to be the general one that people know him for sure well anybody who has ever suffered a nasty bruise may have something in common with the hulk okay because santosh when you bruise yes do you know what happens well i i personally i i stay brown um <laughs> <laughs> so those of us, those of us of a paler disposition, sure. So you <laughs> red blood cells, red blood cells at the point of the bruise yeah. are dying, right? Right, and the oxygen carrying molecule that brings these blood cells around your body, hemoglobin, begins to break up, right? And you have now, deposition of iron, etc. Mm-hmm. Okay. Right. So the iron goes into your body. Now, one of the breakdown products of hemoglobin is a molecule called biliverdin. Mm -hmm. Now, you may have heard the verd in there, which is Latin for green. Mm -hmm. And this can make the blood appear a little bit green, and it's responsible for that dark greenish, bluish hue. If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you're 
you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full, important safety information, visit Juvederm.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. That you see at the edge of a bruise, which you know does go from like purple to greenish to gray. Bruises have a lot of interesting colors. <laughs> and this is just like you were saying, the process of the molecules breaking down. And if you're thinking about biliverdin and you're you're hearing Billy in there and that's that's the root also for bile. So this breakdown product is what gives bile, which is made by the liver and secreted into your intestines, that very characteristic green as grass color. And uh, it's very essential for the actual absorption of nutrients down in the intestinal tract. But right there under your skin, it is going to break down the same way it would in your liver and form the same bile pigment, which is green. Now, turning into the Hulk would be a pretty big traumatic event, sure. right? Oh, yeah. And and he actually grows at least a foot in height compared to Banner. Okay. So we have to assume that that gamma radiation gave him some new kind of blood to get hemoglobin all over his body, maybe Hulkoglobin. <laughs> I like because he he can't just expand that way and have the same amount of blood going around in his body. He would faint. So yeah, we have to we have to assume that there's a rush of blood to supply all this newly manufactured muscle and skin and bone, which is now strong as steel. So if you're shooting up an extra foot in height and becoming more muscular every time you get mildly miffed, yeah. <laughs> this is going to cause a lot of trauma on your body. So I'm, I'm going to suggest, and this has also been theorized elsewhere in the internet, that maybe his green skin is just the result of an entire body bruise. Oof. Yeah, that that's that's very possible. I, I mean, he is skipping the uh, you know the purplishness and then switching over to green, but it would be an enormous and very fast well, bruise. Well, so. if he's, is he really skipping the purplish part, or are those pants just very, <laughs> very form-fitting? <laughs> you imagine the harder you hit him, the angrier he gets, which releases more hulkoglobin, yeah. which causes him to become even bigger, stronger, and need more blood, and is going to cause even more bruising. So we don't know if he gets darker green and maybe even moves closer to grayish again. Sure, sure, absolutely. That, but that makes that, I think that's a fair, you know medical scientific explanation of why he goes green but moving on to when whenever you see superheroes by and large in the comics they tend to be 
corporate or like Tony Stark or military or teenagers, but you don't see a lot of, shall we say, medical professionals deciding to go out and fight crime, with a few rare exceptions. And yeah. one of the best is actually in the detective comics or DC universe superhero who's known as Dr. Midnight, and that is his superhero name and also his degree. Uh, okay, very nice. So, Dr. Midnight, and for those of you who are DC fanatics, I'm specifically referring to the third Dr. Midnight, Peter Cross, is a, he's a uh, Norwegian, born son of a noted scientist. He was delivered as a baby by the original Dr. Midnight, but he basically, his crime-fighting career begins when he's running a free clinic his, in Washington. He investigates a new street drug called A39, which is a steroid-like drug. It's produced by an evil corporation. Of course. And he's then drugged by company enforcers when he's investigating this, because, you know, as doctors, we very often go out investigating the areas around our clinic. <laughs> But he's he's drugged by the company enforcers involved in a car accident, and after the accident, he can only see in pitch blackness via infrared. Oh. So he sees in the dark like we see in the light and vice versa. So he takes the name Midnight, and because we all have a certain element of narcissism, he continues to call himself Doctor because he didn't go to superhero medical yeah. school for seven years to be called Mr. Midnight. There you go. Yeah, stolen, of course, from Doctor Evil. So I'm going to give you a couple different examples. One good one, one bad. In the good example, Doctor Midnight in uh, Justice Society, JSA Classified number 24. Sure. He fights a vampire, Mercia, a, or at least somebody who calls themselves a vampire. Okay. And he loses hard oh. because, again, being a doctor sadly does not provide quite the martial arts background that you might hope. <laughs> I know. I was disappointed. Yeah, too. I thought, you know, you put the white coat on and it's just all sidekicks and karate chops. So he retreats to his to his bat cave, which all doctors do have, and <laughs> considers the situation. So he sits there and, and he doctors this out. He says, all right, there's no way Mircea can be a real vampire. There has to be a scientific explanation for his appearance and his abilities. He thinks to himself, all right, well, if I'm going to make a differential diagnosis, he could have congenital insensitivity to pain, because why else? Would he not be able to feel my punches? There you go. <laughs> okay. He could have familial dysautonomia, poor development of the nervous system, as well as some sensory nerves and severe anemia. But he goes through all these, and finally he thinks, you know, I think this is due to a condition called xeroderma pigmentosa. And Santosh, yeah. what can you tell us about that? <laughs> this is a uh, genetic condition where uh, the repair mechanism for DNA when UV light hits your DNA and forms, causes damage, that repair protein is mutated and, uh, to the point of being useless. So actually, in real life, xeroderma pigmentosa, uh, you'll have 
a predilection for skin cancers and a predilection to have damaged skin from even a, a little bit of a sunburn because your skin, rather than being able to repair the DNA and grow normally from then on, either the skin cell will die completely and you'll be left with an, an area of inflammation and denuded skin or you will start to form like a, a, a cancer. And so this is the, in real life, form of this disease. It's quite devastating. You have to protect your skin at all times. Even a little bit of damage is devastating. But I suspect that there's a variation in the comic book universe because he's not a walking ball of sunburns and cancer. Well, not only does he suffer from xeroderma pigmentosum, but he has been taking very high doses of steroid A39. Now, we know steroid is an immune suppressant and might actually provide a little bit of protection from the light sensitivity. I mean, that's, it's debatable. Sure. But it's the steroid that's been giving him increased strength as well as the pallid skin and eyes associated with vampires. So the combination huh? of the steroid <laughs> okay. and the xeroderma. So armed... Armed with this knowledge, Dr. Midnight once again confronts Mircea and is able to use his own strength against him, presumably by doping with the same steroid. I'm not going to spoil it for you. But when he finally takes him down, it's by injecting him with rocuronium, which is an anesthetic paralyzing agent, right. and hauls him off to an insane asylum. Now, medically, this would absolutely work. Yeah. If you inject rocuronium into somebody, they hurt. They are going down. Yeah, they, you, you're no longer... And it's, it's a little bit of a scary way to, to take someone down, wouldn't you say, Josh? Because this, uh, is, this is not going to put them to sleep. This is just going to paralyze them. So they are 100% aware, but they cannot move. Yeah, and... <laughs> You know, of course, then he, Dr. Midnight, tosses this guy into the police van to go to an insane asylum. Yeah. So, <laughs> so here's, here's hoping that the person's diaphragm was at least spared so he could take a couple of breaths here and there. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, so and, uh, it's, there's some questionable ethics going in here, and, yeah. and we'll, we'll bring that up next. Now, he's, Peter Cross is usually portrayed as being a doctor first and a vigilante second in the JSA classified comics. Sure. You know, he has scanners in his cow lenses that help him identify health risks as well as threats. I, I don't know how he identifies, like, if it does a, you know, if this person is fat, they're at risk for diabetes and obesity <laughs> and heart disease, but it's they like the identify It's like the most boring Jarvis ever. <laughs> he, but wait, it gets better. Okay. Dr. Midnight is also a vegetarian. Sure. He practices yoga and carries high-tech medical equipment in addition to his weapons, which are blackout bombs. So he works as both a crime fighter and community surgeon. I don't know that this is compatible with the Hippocratic Oath. I'm going to go with no. Like, maybe no. <laughs> are you telling me I have to stop my midnight keeping of Chicago safe? <laughs> if you're doing it with bombs and paralytics, then yeah, <laughs> probably. <laughs> Well, I'm, I'm glad you brought up some of the questionable ethics in being a superhero doctor, because that was the other thing. Although Dr. Midnight does really seem to know his, his shtick, he does run into a few ethical problems that the comics don't point out, but are very interesting in our world of uh, opioid overprescription. Really? Okay. Uh, yeah, break it down. So, 
So I'm going to give you two straight to the comics in the very first issue of Dr. Midnight, Dr. Midnight number one, when Peter Cross gets his powers and he's injected with, you know, this drug and he crashes his car because he tries to go driving after, you know, treating himself with this experimental steroid. Oh, boy. After the crash, his medical license is revoked. Um, now, and, presumably, and this is a this is a common thing that does happen in real life. Is if a physician is found doing something against the law, especially if they're impaired, the ethics board will take their license away. Now, if his license is revoked in Doctor Midnight Number One, and he's carrying around rocuronium and a few others and working as a community <laughs> surgeon. You have to wonder, did he ever get his license reinstated? Is he practicing medicine without a license? <laughs> is, he, is he the ultimate in locums doctors, which is what I do traveling from state to state? Does he have a license in every state? You know, how does, how does this guy get by practicing medicine just wherever superheroing takes him? Sure. But is he the stealing other, this stuff? Right. Well, <laughs> here's, here's where it gets even more suspicious. Yeah. Um, in JSA number 17, Peter is on a dinner date with the Black Canary, when they're attacked by Count Vertigo, whose power is to cause vertigo. Oh. It's not the most creative. <laughs> this, it's not the most creative yes. power. I can make you really dizzy and uncomfortable. <laughs> this was much like the very aptly named Dr. Freeze, who would fr freeze people. <laughs> but, but, I mean, again, vertigo, for those people who suffer from vertigo, it certainly is very disconcerting. So when they're attacked by Count Vertigo... Peter injects Black Canary with both diazepam, which is Valium, and Meclizine, which is Antivert, to stop and counteract the dizziness from Count Vertigo, and then she fights him, and the battle is completed, and yada, yada, yada. Now, both of these medicines are excellent choices for Vertigo. Yeah, yeah. But... Diazepam is a class four controlled substance. Yeah, it really is, and for good so, reason. It can so superhero or not, I have to tell you, it looks mighty suspicious that he injected his dinner date with this addictive medicine without a prescription, and he's just carrying it Dude, around. Why? Okay, I understand. You know, you have severe allergies or something. Uh, some people keep an EpiPen. Okay, so that's a pretty strong medication that you keep in your pocket. I cannot think of a time when I was walking around with diazepam in my pocket. Here's, here's my question. <laughs> Either he was expecting something bad to go down, right, Josh? Or he was saving that diazepam <laughs> for, for what? <laughs> you know, I'm just saying, like, he was supposed to be out on a date. Why is he carrying sedating medications right. around with him? And the meclizine, I can understand if maybe he suffers from vertigo or something like that. He needs an But meclizine is a pill. It Why is. Why does he have an injectable for? It's injectable, yeah. <laughs> does he just prefer needles? I mean, this raises a whole other host. Yeah. So now we've so far seen him drop a villain with a paralyzing agent right. and drug his date, granted to fight a supervillain, sure. but still drug his date with another controlled substance. Um, and finally, in a different one, in JSA All-Stars number 6, Dr. Midnight again runs afoul of controlled substance loss. He comes across a pregnant woman in a crashed subway train, so he gives her both Demerol and Stadol. Both of these are narcotics and controlled substances. So once again, he's handing out addictive medications to people he barely knows. <laughs> So how does he legally get away with carrying all these controls? Does he have a special permission? I have you know, no idea. Exactly, 
exactly how many drugs does he carry <laughs> with him? You know, and any good doctor or nurse will tell you when you have this many medications with you, they should all be kept in separate containers. The needle should be kept separate from the drug until you're ready to deliver. You you have to keep them well in sight and labeled. And a lot of his activities happening in like unlit or poorly lit places where, oh, you know, you're in pain. Let me give you some Demer. Oh, oh, God, that's pure potassium. Oh, you have a heart attack now. <laughs> the only thing I can think of is that surgeons are, by and large, not portrayed favorably in the comic book universe. That's true. Um, they're, they're either the supervillain doctor, like the evil, you know, I'm going to attach stuff to you and cut stuff off of you, uh, or you're a reckless doctor like Midnight. Yeah, Midnight is either incredibly reckless or deeply unethical <laughs> because he's carrying around a whole bunch of sedating medications. Yeah. Just and you know another another common surgeon that you may not realize is Doctor Strange in the Marvel universe. Oh, really? began began as a hand surgeon, became very impressed with himself and his abilities. Ran into substance abuse problems again. You know, maybe he was palling around with Dr. Midnight <laughs> and got into a terrible car accident that really destroyed the use of his hands. Well, as you can imagine, a surgeon without functional hands is no longer a functional surgeon. Right. And, and this is, so, we, I think, I don't know if you know anybody like this, Josh, but I've actually met surgeons who've had to go through this and they, they mourn this like. They mourn the loss of uh, of a mother or a father. I mean, this is their whole livelihood. It it is that that's how they do. So, Doctor Strange, his real name was Strange, Stephen Strange, <laughs> and he went searching the world. When you know, he didn't trust any surgeon but himself. He said nobody is good enough to operate on him. No one has the skill but him. So he looked for first all the traditional remedies, then he looked for all the other remedies, and finally he journeyed high into the mountains of Tibet and was taught magic by the ancient one. And he still can't practice surgery, but right. now he he does have sufficient motor control to weave magic spells. And again, when Doctor Strange the film comes out this fall starring Benedict Cumberbatch, <laughs> do yourselves all the favor and check it out. I, I think it's going to be a good one. I mean, this is uh, this is one of these wonderful, even for those who are fans of like the Marvel Universe and Avengers and Captain America, this is a slightly less well-known uh, kind of pocket of the Marvel Universe. Yeah, yeah. So we're really, and, and I've, I'm finally glad to see we're bringing one, at least one medical superhero and one final story that I I had to include last minute, and it has to deal with the Star Wars universe. Now, we did already do some Star Wars episodes about the medicine of Star Wars earlier this season, but in a bit of news that has just been made available, we find out that the Star Wars universe considers mental health just as important. Yay! Way to go, Star Wars-verse. This actually ties specifically to the Ewoks and at what they did after the second Death Star was destroyed. So in the old pre-Force Awakens Star Wars universe, the Ewoks just sort of went about their business on Endor, on Endor after the second Death Star was destroyed. But the new universe, 
the one that is being rewritten, actually had a bunch of Ewoks going out and getting jobs. And this is <laughs> this is in canon, and it's mentioned in Chuck Wendig's new novel, Aftermath, Life Debt. And it's packed with information about the Star Wars galaxy after Return of the Jedi. Yeah, and for those of you out there who are thinking, you know, what is an Ewok going to do for a job? First of all, you're bigots, every last one of you. <laughs> but I mean, sure, you can accept Chewie as a co-pilot, yeah. <laughs> but he wants can't get jobs. No, these are these are highly intelligent little beings. I mean, they have organized religion, as you saw in Empire Strikes Back. Guys, they're not just tiny little animated teddy bears. However, we are going to talk about their jobs as animated little teddy bears. <laughs> <laughs> So at one point in this book, Life Debt, a rebel commando uh, basically loses his leg in a skirmish. So he goes to a medical center, it gets replaced with a prosthetic limb, and during his recovery he's offered a therapy droid to combat post-traumatic stress disorder. And the therapy droid is called QT9, it sounds a little bit like (laughs) BB-8. And when... When the soldier is very first wary, he's like, I don't know how much some tiny little soccer ball is really going to make me recover or feel better. His doctor offers him an alternative <laughs> therapy pet. <laughs> and to be, I, I, I still, I feel like it should not be pet. Uh, this is a personal bias. I think they're intelligent beings with a civilization. They shouldn't be pets. They should be, you know, like, you know, a therapist, rather. Well, this this doctor may have some bigoted tendencies <laughs> because he does mention, he said, I, you know, if you don't want the droid, I could put you in for a therapy Ewok. <laughs> and the, some of these native creatures agreed to travel off-world to help veterans recuperate as a matter of recompense for saving their home. So they signed up in droves to be therapy creatures as a thanks for the Rebel Alliance's activity. I want you to imagine, you're sitting in a hospital. You're sitting in a hospital, and you're thinking, oh my gosh, like this is terrible, I've lost my leg, how am I going to survive in this world of spaceships, and you know things like that. And all of a sudden, an Ewok walks in, starts singing Yub Nub, and just hugs you. Yeah, just big, gigantic, cuddly... Um, with the caveat that, like, later he might sacrifice you to his god. But, you know... Also, they smell hard, apparently. <laughs> I thought they smelled worse. <laughs> it raises such a beautiful view of the Star Wars world. Yeah. Where, I mean, we're not even talking about Ewoks as, you know, physical therapists, as doctors. They're just showing up and be like... Oh, would you like to pet me? I'm a fellow intelligent living creature, (laughs) but you can pick me up and hug me and squeeze me because thanks to you, my planet didn't get blown up, which, (laughs) which, to be fair, which, by the way, they can, they can like cognate that they can figure that out. (laughs) You're still going like, you know, they're, they're smart enough to realize their entire culture has been saved and to sign up to volunteer right. in a medical capacity, right. but apparently only to be cuddled and pet <laughs> and, I don't know. Well, no, I mean, it, it may be that this is... Let, let's take the, the optimistic view here. 
It may be that this is something that they absolutely love to do. Uh, you know, they love cuddling. They love being, you know, friendly, happy. They love making people happy who they want to make happy. There's a bit of a communication barrier, you know, and they're off world. Their weapons, as we saw in Empire, were quite primitive, as was most of their technology. So maybe they realize this is kind of what they're best suited for is just to be a pal. I just wanted to say that's that's canon now, yeah. you guys. <laughs> if any of you guys want to support giving to therapy animals or helping raise therapy animals, it's a great cause. Uh, we, Josh and I, both love having therapy animals in our hospital, and they do a, a great service. And Santosh, I believe you will put a couple links up on the website where people can do that. I will. I will. I'll set up Facebook. Let's move on to the next story and leave you all to contemplate the cuddly therapy Ewok <laughs> that now exists in the Star Wars universe. Who knows? Yeah. Maybe we'll see Chewie go to one for solace. <laughs> yeah. I, I mean, the, the Ewoks treated Chewie pretty well. For those of you who who really want to see a lot more medicine in comic books, I will recommend one one series of books, which unfortunately I don't think they're putting out too much anymore. It's called Metadox, and it's put out by Antarctic, Antarctic Press, and it's about superheroes. It's a special superhero emergency room and the doctors who staff it. Oh, nice. If someone came in with laser burns from Cyclops. Well, something like that. I mean, on the, on the way to work, one of our young physicians, Dr. Reyos, okay. is commuting to Superhero Hospital Metamedical Central. And his plans are delayed when the train he's on is caught in the middle of a battle between evil Lord Dread and a, tomb of, a team of superheroes. And during the fight, two of them are pretty injured. You know, Gravity Girl saves the train using her gravity powers, but trying to stop a heavy building crashing down on a bunch of bystanders gives her a stroke, leading to seizures and unconsciousness. Oh, interesting. Okay, okay. So this is the... Uh, they're actually treating the heroes, not the victims or... Yeah. Well, yes, but but the doctors themselves are also supers. A variety of other physicians are introduced in the first issue of the comic. There's a speedster who can help with triage. Nice. A magician... <laughs> And a nature empath who can, you know, rather than the pain scale, they just touch you and know how you feel. Oh, that that would be such an awesome superpower for a doctor. And, you know, they really think about the medicine here because medication doses have to be higher than normal. Uh -huh. Mechanical ventilation and cardiac resuscitation require extra power. Careful attention is actually given to how much IV fluid and units of blood the extra-large Hulk-like character will require and the special equipment that's used to assess him. So nice. it's really interesting in that you get to see... It, it explores an aspect of the superhero world we don't think about. What happens to all these people who do get injured, who don't have invulnerability? Yeah, yeah. So if you're at Comic-Con, take a look for it. It's going to be in one of the bargain bins in the actual comic portion of the convention. Remember, or, remember when this was about comic books? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so... So that's that's it for this year's comic book medicine special. I know you all didn't think I could pull another one <laughs> out, but we have so uh, many. We have so many. I would like to give a special thanks to Dr. Horn, who was the one who pointed out to me the similarities between Doomsday and Myositis ossificans. That's our show for the week, folks. 
If you see me at Comic-Con, say hi. Uh, this year I will be dressed as Sheriff Woody Grimes in a mashup of The Walking Dead and Toy Story. Nice. Um, and I, I, will have, I will have Buzz Lightyear and Jesse with me. So keep an eye out for the three of us. Stop by and say hi. Otherwise, we love to hear your comments, questions, concerns, and feedback. We're on Facebook at facebook.com slash travelmedicinepodcast. We're on iTunes, Stitcher, uh, Squarespace, anywhere you find your favorite podcasts and social media. We have a presence. We even have a Patreon page if you'd like to support us financially as well as spiritually and morally. And we we actually want to say thanks to every last one of you for just going out there and and listening and rating us and everything. Um, this podcast started off uh, not too long ago with a little bit of a dream that we wanted to educate people and have some fun traveling. And you have made us uh, really quite successful. So much more to come for all of you guys and, and just tons and tons of thanks. Our theme music is composed by Rachel Leisure. We are a weekly show, most weeks. Sometimes <laughs> I miss. And if you have any travel stories, any medical stories, or you're an expert in any field even remotely related to medicine and you'd like to be a guest on the show, please send us a message via Facebook or Squarespace. We love interacting with all of you. Yeah, well, uh, no, we love putting no, you on the radio. Come on now. No, just the tip this week, with the exception of go to San Diego. There's a whole bunch of great stuff coming on. Double Dare is going to have an event. Conan is going to be broadcasting. There's Burrito Place. I can't even tell you. If you're in San Diego around this time of year, you're not going to see anything except the comic book convention. Yeah, I, so, I think uh, anybody who you will not be disappointed. Until next time, guys, as always, happy travels. Bye. <laughs> catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.